it was a privilege and a blessing to be able to deliver the backpacks to our school district this past week. Our school district leadership once again shared with us as we went to them this past Tuesday that the Cross Ridge Church backpacks are the gold standard for our district students. They love our backpacks. They love receiving our backpacks. A couple of months ago, uh, the school district leadership came to us and they asked us if we would be willing to uh, provide, to purchase and provide and to fill 70 backpacks full of all the necessary supplies to go to specifically the group of students that our district identified, which was 70 homeless students who would otherwise not be able to receive backpacks or supplies for the school year. And so they asked if we would be willing to join with them and to provide these backpacks because they already identified who the backpacks would go to. The school district acknowledged that this was a big ask because this was, quite honestly, double the amount of backpacks that we have given in previous years. But you showed up in a big way, as you always do, in Cross Ridge Church style. I want to share with you what God did through you in this opportunity to bless those in our community. We delivered 76 backpacks that were packed full of the supplies for the elementary, middle, and high school students that they had identified who were homeless students. We also delivered four extra boxes of miscellaneous school supplies that the district could use and give out to the students as needed. We also had a family in our church feel led by the Lord to purchase a $20 Walmart gift card to go in every one of the backpacks. Yes so that these families could provide whatever other needs they might have for their student. And we were able to put a New Testament with the Psalms in every one of the backpacks. Go, God, go. Say that with me. Go, God, go. Again, go, God, go. Go, God, go. And what a blessing it is to join God in his work. Thank you for being used by God in his work here in our community. Thank you for joining God by your generosity to help bless these 70 homeless students and their families. Our God is an awesome God. Amen? Amen. Well, open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. We are unpacking God's truth for our lives. In our study through Galatians, as we've made it to chapter 3, we know Paul is encouraging the believers in the churches in Galatea because they were turning away from God and the truth of the gospel to follow the false teachers and their false teaching. The false teachers taught the way to God is by works for God. Paul said the way to God is by faith in Christ Jesus. Paul showed by his masterful writing in Galatians chapter 3 how the Old Testament and New Testament taught the way to God was by faith, not works. The false teachers objected to Paul's use of the example of Abraham's faith in God as the way to God which we read about and studied last week in verses 15 through 18. The false teachers said this, Since the law of Moses 
was given 430 years after God's promise to Abraham was made, that meant the law of Moses replaced or nullified God's promise to Abraham. Therefore, they said the way to God was by works for God, not faith in God. And Paul said, wrong. Say that with me. Wrong. Again, wrong. Paul said... The law of Moses does not alter, change, nullify, or replace God's promise with Abraham. And he wrote in verse 15 these words, Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed who is Christ. My point is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on faith, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. As we shared last Sunday, God promised to make Abraham a great nation, to bless Abraham, to bless Abraham through him, to bless all nations through Abraham, which would be fulfilled through his seed, Christ Jesus. We receive the blessing of God through Abraham by faith in the promised seed, Jesus Christ. It is available to all who will believe in and receive Jesus by faith. This is what Paul was teaching. Paul shared with these believers that when God gave the law to Moses, God's covenant promise with Abraham had not yet been fulfilled because Jesus Christ had not yet come to earth to rescue us from our sins. Therefore, God's covenant promise with Abraham was still in effect when God gave the law to Moses. The blessing of God through Abraham is still available and open to all nations today who will believe in and receive Jesus by faith. We know that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Not from work, so that none of us can boast. It's a gift of God to you and to me. Paul was saying that the grace of God came before the law because the grace of God was greater than the law. And so we continue now, moving forward in verse 19. And we follow along with Paul. Paul said in verse 19, Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels, by means of a mediator. Paul continued to confound and correct the false teachers in chapter 3 through his superior understanding and explanation of God's doctrine and truth. Remember, Paul had just shared in the previous verses that we read that the law of Moses did not replace or nullify God's promise with Abraham. So Paul now answers the next logical question. Why then was the law given? Why was the law given? It's a question the false teachers were asking these believers. It's a question these believers were asking Paul. Paul asked the question, why was the law given? And then he shared answers. Now, we already know by our study of chapter 3 that several things we know about the law. The law doesn't give us the Holy Spirit. We learned that in verses 1 through 5. The law doesn't make us right with God. We learned that in verses 6 through 9. The law doesn't bless us through Abraham. We learn that in verses 10 through 14. The law doesn't nullify God's covenant promise with Abraham. We learn that in verses 15 through 18. So why was the law given? Real simple. Here's why the law was given. The law was given to show us our sin and our need for the Savior Jesus. 
The law was given to show us our sin and our need for the Savior, Jesus. The requirement of the law is this, obey the law all the time. Obey all the law all the time. Well, no one can fulfill the law. No one can obey God's word, all of God's word, all the time. Before all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all turned away from God by our sin against God. So the law doesn't save us. The law sentences us. The law doesn't save us. The law actually sentences us. And Paul affirmed this and spoke about this in Romans chapter 3. If you take just a moment, turn to your left to Romans chapter 3. Uh, just a few pages to your left. Romans chapter 3. I want you to see how he affirms this in his letter to the believers in Rome. Romans chapter 3. Uh, and I'll begin reading it in verse 20. Paul said this. It's exactly what he was saying to the believers uh, here in Galatians. Paul said, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. That means no one will be justified. No one will be declared right with God. Justified means right with God. No one will be declared right with God in God's sight by the works of the law. No one is declared right with God by the works for God is what he said. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. The law reveals our sin. The law reveals our need for Jesus and the way to Jesus. The law reveals our sin, our need for Jesus, and the way to Jesus. Now, he continues in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, say apart. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. So if you look at verse 20 and 21, you see this. The righteousness of God, which is the way to God, the way to be right with God. Righteousness means being right with God. The righteousness of God has been revealed, number one. The righteousness of God is apart from the law. Number two, that means it's not by works of the law. We're not right with God by works of the law. Number three, the righteousness of God is attested by the law and prophets. That means the law and prophets of the Old Testament spoke to how the righteousness of God was to come, not by the law. And four, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're right with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And five, he says, the righteousness of God is to all. Every Jew and Gentile who will believe in and receive Jesus by faith. The law actually shouts to us, this is not the way to God. Jesus is the way to God. The law shouts, Jesus is the way to God. And we're going to continue to see how he unpacks this for us. Now, three curses, real quick, I want to remind us, three curses that we receive when we trust in our works to get us to God. Three curses of those who trust in their works to get them to God. The first is pride. Those who trust in their works to get them to God can become prideful. They boast in all they know about God and all they do for God because they believe that's the way they get to God. Second is legalism. Those who trust in their works to get them to God can become legalistic. Their relationship with God becomes a list of do's and don'ts 
rules and regulations that they must follow in order to earn God's approval. They get legalistic, which means their relationship with God misses out on the joy of the Lord and the freedom that there's theirs in Christ because their only concern is making sure they check the boxes on the do list and avoid the boxes on the don't list. I've had my quiet time today. Check. That means I'm good with God. I've prayed today. Check. That means I'm good with God. I've not looked in this area that I shouldn't look. Check. Okay. I'm good with God. And their relationship just becomes legalistic. It's all about do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. And they miss out on the freedom and the joy and the peace that is theirs in Christ Jesus. The third curse is discouragement. Those who trust in their works to get them to God will become discouraged. They can't avoid it. They get discouraged because they don't know if they're doing enough good works or the right good works. They get discouraged because they understand and know they can't obey God's word all the time. They're going to fail. They're going to sin against God. And so when they sin against God, they get discouraged because they realize that wasn't a good work. That was actually a bad work. That was a sin. So now how many good works do I have to now do in order to make up for that sin? And they live in a constant state of discouragement. Paul's point is this, the law kills, Jesus saves. The law kills, Jesus saves. And he continues sharing this with us in verse 19. Follow along. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgressions. Let's stop there. It was added. So what was the law added to? The law was added to God's covenant promise. With Abraham. It was added to God's covenant promise with Abraham. And so it was added to the covenant promise of Abraham for the sake of transgressions, for the sake of sins. What does that mean? It was added, the law was added to God's covenant promise of blessing through Abraham for the sake of transgressions to reveal sin. Remember, now think about this. The law identified what God wants. The law identified what pleases God, what God wants. Therefore, to not obey the law, to not do what God wants, is sin. Therefore, the law revealed sin to us. It identified for us what God wants. And so when we don't do what God wants, we know that is then sin. Therefore, the law confirms that we are sinners separated from God because of our sin against God. Like what one Bible scholar said, the law came to enable sinners to see they were sinning. So we see now that the law was added for the sake of transgressions. Get this now, get this. He doesn't stop there until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The promised seed who was to come is Christ Jesus. So he's saying here, don't miss this, the law is inferior to the promise because the promise relates to the seed, Jesus Christ, who is to come, because the law is temporary. The law was only in effect until the seed, until the seed who was to come. So it was temporary. So the law revealed several things. The law demanded 
perfect obedience to God. The law said you got to obey all the law all the time. The law, therefore, revealed our sin against God. The law revealed everyone's sin against God. The law also pointed to Jesus, the promised seed and Savior who was to come. Jesus came, and in the New Testament, he said he came and he what? Fulfilled the law. He perfectly obeyed all the law all the time for you and for me, and thereby opened the way for us to be able to receive forgiveness of sins and enter into a relationship with God through his finished work on the cross of Calvary. This is awesome stuff. And he said, now follow me now, he said, it was added for the sake of transgressions until the seed to whom the promises made would come. The law was put into effect through angels by means of a mediator. So Paul goes Old Testament on him again, and he brings up what Moses had shared in Deuteronomy 33. When God gave Israel the law through Moses, his mediator, God was accompanied, get this, by angels. The psalmist said, by 10,000 holy ones. So when God gave the law to Israel through Moses' as mediator, the angels were there praising God, accompanying God. So what Paul is now saying is the law came after the grace of God to point us to the grace of God, which is in the seed, Jesus Christ. Man, this is good. Tell your neighbor, this is so good. Okay, you almost got it. You got to drag the soap. Tell your neighbor, this is so good. Do it. All right. That's better. That's better. Now you're with me. This is good stuff. This is so amazing, this truth that he's unpacking. Now let's continue in verse 20. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but God is one. This is awesome. Now watch this. Paul has been showing now that the promise is superior to the law. The promise, the covenant promise of Abraham is superior to the law of Moses. Now, a mediator is not just for one person. When God gave Israel the law through his mediators, Moses and the angels, he gave the law through mediators because the law dealt with more than one person. It dealt with all of Israel. As all of Israel obeyed God's law, they received God's blessings. As all of Israel disobeyed God's law, they received God's curses and discipline. So when it dealt with more than one, all of Israel, God chose to speak through a mediator, Moses, and through his angels. But he said here, but God is one. This is a reference to the reality that we've already studied, and that is God and God alone made his covenant promise with Abraham. God's covenant promise with Abraham was based on God's grace. God made and fulfilled his covenant promise with Abraham. Abraham believed God and he received God's blessings because of the fulfillment of God and his faith in God. So Paul's point is this, since the covenant promise of God is greater than the law, since grace is greater than works, why are you believers in these churches? He's telling them, why are you turning away from God's grace and putting yourself back up under the law as if you've got to work your way to earn God's approval? So it doesn't make any sense. 
And he continues now in verse 21. Is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? Absolutely not. For if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. So Paul is sharing the superiority of the promise to the law. Now he answers the next question. And the next question is, is the law therefore contrary to God's promises? And Paul says, absolutely not. That is the sharpest, strongest reply, response that he could possibly give in the original language. Absolutely not. No way. That's anathema to even think. There's no way that's true. Paul said, no, the law is not contrary to God's promises. Why? Because God is the author of the law and his promises, and God doesn't contradict or disagree with himself. He doesn't. So then he continues, and he's going to bring this to, to a close for him, and he says, absolutely not, for if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. Remember, what was the false teacher's focus point? The law gives life. They were going around saying the law gives life, meaning the way to God is by works of the law. That's what they were saying. The law is what gives life, not the promise. The law gives life. you got to work your way to get to God. Paul said, no, 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 no. The law was not granted with the ability to give life. Paul reminded them the law was given to reveal our sin against God and our need for the Savior Jesus. The law was given to reveal our sin and God's holiness. The law was given to reveal that we are sinners separated from God because of our sin against God. And we have actually been sentenced to a death and eternity apart from God in hell without help to get to God from someone outside of ourselves. And he said that if, look at what he says here, this is important, if righteousness uh, could, if the law had been granted with the ability to give life, then righteousness would certainly be based on the law. Meaning, if we could be declared right with God by our works for God, then our righteousness, our salvation would be based on works, not faith, which therefore means the cross of Calvary, Jesus on the cross for you and for me, would have been unnecessary. Well, Paul's already told us that the cross of Christ was purposeful, intentional, and absolutely necessary. He said in the end of chapter 2, I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He's already shared with us that we know Christ died in our place on the cross to pay for our sins. What Paul is doing here is he's showing and sharing with these believers the law is inferior to the promised covenant with Abraham. The covenant promise of Abraham is superior to the law of Moses, but the covenant promise of Abraham and the law of Moses work together. They're not contrary, they work together. And here's how he brings this together in verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. So he's continuing to share how the promise and the law work together. He said, but the scripture, the scripture is a reference to God's word. Old Testament, New Testament. Here, obviously, Paul is clearly referencing the Old Testament, clearly referencing uh, the, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, the Torah there, the books that Moses shared with us. And he's saying, but, but the scripture 
imprisoned. Imprisoned literally means to shut up without a way of escape. Imprisoned is in the present tense, which means every day, all day. The imagery behind imprisoned is that of a fish caught in a net without a way of escape or of a prisoner placed behind a cell without a way of escape. So he said the scripture, the Old Testament law in particular, imprisoned. It shut up without a way of escape. It imprisoned. It shut up without a way of escape. Everything under sin's power. Everything under sin's power means everything under sin's power. So what is Paul saying? He's saying this. We, according to the truth of God's word, revealed to us by the law throughout the word of God that we hold in our hands today, we have been imprisoned. We have been shut up under the control, mastery, and power of sin without a way of escaping our sin in what we can do and in how we can maneuver. There's no good works that we can do to get out of our prison of sin. Paul is saying that we have been imprisoned. We've been shut up, imprisoned, without a way of escape. We have been sentenced by the law to death apart from God in a very real place called hell. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And we know the wages of sin is death. So he shares in verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power. But here, look at this now. So that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. So the law, however, is good and helpful for us because it prepares us for and points us to the promise which is to come. And that is that we can be right with God and we receive this promise based on faith and trust in Christ Jesus. For everyone who will believe in and receive Jesus by faith, they are made right with God. So we've been in prison, shut up in our prison of sin without any way of escape. But now we know the law also is good and helpful because it prepares us for, it points us to this Savior who is to come, this Jesus, this promised seed of Abraham who is to come. And when he came, he is the one through whom we can receive an escape from our prison of sin because of his work on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. That's why the scripture says, for if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's with our heart that we believe and are justified. It's with our mouth that we confess and are saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, under heaven given to people by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Christ Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. For all who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believed in his name, Paul is helping these folks see and understand once again the way to God is not by works of God. The way to God is by faith and trust in the promised seed of Abraham, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. This is awesome. And he reminds everybody. Verse 23 is kind of a summary. And he says in verse 23, before this faith came, we were confined under the law imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. Paul reminded us here that we were confined under the law. We were imprisoned. We were shut up 
in our prison of sin without a way of escape. Every one of us at a certain point in time in our lives, we were literally physically alive, but we were spiritually dead. We were shut up, imprisoned, confined under the law. The law reveals our sin and our desperate need for the Savior, Jesus. We had no way of escaping our prison of sin. There weren't enough good works that we could do to get rid of our sin and get us to God. There's not enough good church services that we could go to and attend that would enable us to get rid of our sin and get us to God. There is not enough money we could give to get rid of our sin and give us to God. We couldn't even become baptized as a way to get rid of our sin and get us to God. Those are all necessary and good things, but those are not the way we get to God. We were in prison, confined, shut up in our prison of sin without any way of escape. But he said that happened until, he said, until the coming faith was revealed. What he's saying is he's making this clear. We were all in the same boat until our Savior Jesus came to earth, the promised seed of Abraham. And you see, when our Savior Jesus came to earth, he provided and offered a way of escape for you and for me out of our prison of sin. He was the only one who was able to open the door of our sin that separated us from God and sealed us to an eternity apart from God in a very real place called hell. He offers us a way of escape out of that prison by his perfect life. He was tempted as we are tempted, yet he never sinned. By his death on the cross of Calvary, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection on the third day, let us know Jesus is alive. And this is why he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, because he's the only one who has ever fulfilled all the law and prophets. He's the only one who's ever died on the cross in our place and paid the price for our sin and risen again to share that with us and to provide us with an opportunity to know God. You see, what Paul was saying is King Jesus is our Savior, not the law. The law sentences, King Jesus saves. He saves. That is, give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. That's an opportunity. Somebody needs to shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. There we go. This is great news for us. Whether we were saved years and years and years ago, whether it's been recently, I mean, this is great news. And the longer we have been saved and we're growing our faith in Christ, I believe the sweeter this grace of God becomes for us. Because we grow in it and we know its power. And we know we are absolutely nothing without the grace of God. We're nothing. We can do nothing without the grace of God. This is beautiful. Paul's reminding us, for by grace are you saved through faith in Christ Jesus. You've been set free from a prison of sin by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And we all know when the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. Yes, we are. We are free. And so what was Paul sharing this with these believers for? Listen now, follow me. They had forgotten this. They had forgotten their freedom in Jesus. And because of the false teachers, they had wandered away and they had started believing and living as if the way to God was by putting themselves back under the law by doing works for God. 
Paul said, oh, whoa, whoa. No, no. No. Why? Why would you turn away from the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus? The law kills. The law sentences us. Jesus saves. And so he was reminding these believers over and over again, as you've, I'm sure, noticed in our study over these past weeks, this past month, and you're going to continue to notice as we've made our way through chapter 3 and we're making our way through chapter 4, this is the continual message. We're talking a lot about this because Paul wrote a lot about this. Because this was a real deal issue. I believe it still is today. I believe it's very easy for us today if we're not careful. We know that we have been freed from the prison of our sin by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We know that we are nothing apart from the grace of God. We know that we can do nothing apart from the grace of God, but it's easy for us to slip into a lifestyle where we begin to measure ourselves by the stuff that we do or by the things that we think, and then we measure ourselves and we end up trying to think that we're okay with God or we're not okay with God or we're really, really good with God's day or we're not really, really good with God's day because of what we're doing and what we're thinking, and we get caught up in this legalistic lifestyle where we're putting ourselves back up under the law, acting and believing as if, man, if I go and I have my quiet time today, man, God's going to be so fired up. He's going to give me a whole bunch of attaboys or girls, and I'm going to have the best day ever. And if you notice, oftentimes what happens is when you take that time with the Lord, the distractions just come like a tidal wave. Or he allows you to have that time with the Lord, and then you step away, and you forget everything you've thought. Because we get hit with the warfare, and what God is wanting us to understand and know is our works for him don't make us more appealing to him. We are appealing to him in Christ Jesus. And when we understand that, that then produces the desire in us to Live out our faith in Christ Jesus with the freedom and the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus because we know there's going to be challenges. We know there's going to be distractions. We know there's going to be hurts. We know there's going to be situations where we turn away from God and we sin against God. But praise God we have the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. And we're able to live out that freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul was pouring into these believers. That's what he wants us to understand Today, So what's our takeaway? What's our application today? Well, we kind of just went through it, so I'll just give you some three points, and we'll kind of hit them real quick. Number one is rejoice in Jesus. We need to rejoice in the Lord always. We need to rejoice in the Lord always. We can rejoice always because the Lord is with us. We can rejoice always because we don't have to earn our way to God by our works for God. We are forgiven in Jesus. We are free in Jesus. We are loved by Jesus. Do you understand and realize that there is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore, and there is nothing you can do to make God love you any less? God loves you, and he loves me. But listen now, he loves us so much that he's not going to let us stay the way we are. He loves us so much, he wants to bless us, and that means he's going to transform us in the likeness of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we have the privilege 
each day of rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in Him. Just giving God praise because we know we're never alone. He's with us. He's placed His Holy Spirit in us. Jesus at work in us, through us, and around us. I mean, when we rejoice in Jesus, a few things happen. One, when we rejoice in Jesus, we begin to see Him at work all around us. I I don't know how it works, but trust me, it does. When we start to rejoice in Jesus, we focus on rejoicing in Him, we'll start to see Him at work. We'll start to see how many times He blesses us throughout the day that we would otherwise have just forgotten or missed. And when we rejoice in Jesus, we're able to receive those blessings that He constantly pours into our lives. When we rejoice in Jesus, we don't take the grace of God for granted. Because rejoicing in Jesus reminds us that that grace that God poured out to us was personified, took on flesh. It came to us in His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Rejoice in Jesus. Man, I tell you, today, we need rejoicing. There's not a lot of rejoicing going on. And there's good reason for a lot of circumstances and situations that's happening in in the world around us. I understand that. The scripture says, rejoice in the Lord always. Not just when everything's going well. No, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And we, those free in Jesus, and rejoice in Jesus. Second application, receive Jesus by faith. There's only one way to get to God. Paul's making this clear to us. Has been, he'll continue to. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the door. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one but no one but no one comes to the Father except through him. Receive the gift of love and life and forgiveness of sin. By God's grace at work in your life right now, providing you with another opportunity to respond to his grace by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And then the third application point for each of us is run to Jesus. We need to run to Jesus. As followers of Jesus, one of our greatest privileges is we can run to Jesus. Every day, all day, all throughout the day. Run to Jesus, confessing our sins to him. And he is faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Run to Jesus and confess our absolute need for him, for his wisdom, for his understanding, for his peace, for his grace, for his love, for his strength, for his patience, for his perseverance. Whatever the case may be, run to Jesus. Jesus himself said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. How much greater invitation than that is there than that? The one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open to him. He stands ready to receive us and to fill us with everything we need to continue following him by faith. The good news is, as we run to Jesus, we end up remaining in Jesus. And as we remain in Jesus, he remains in us. He empowers us to bear much fruit. And he reminds us that we can do nothing apart from him. You see, as we run to Jesus, we know him 
more and more and more, and we experience his blessings more and more and more. As we run to Jesus, we're also able to share him more and more and to share his blessings with others that God places around us more and more each day. The law sentences us to death apart from God. It reveals to us our sin and our need for the Savior. It reveals what sin is and how we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law also points to the promised seed, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. And for those, those of us who know him, it's our privilege and joy to rejoice in him and to live for him and through him day by day. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team's coming now to lead in this time of response to the Lord. The altar is open as it always is. I want to encourage you just to, to feel free to, to come and kneel at the altar, to give your thanks to God. You can do so right there where you're seated. This is our response to the Lord. We've sung our praises to Him. He's spoken to us by His Spirit through His Word, and now He's asking for us to respond to Him in obedience, by faith. Our pastors and ministers will be sitting here. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you, to encourage you, bless you in any way, pray over any care or concern that you may have, any need. As followers of Jesus, we're ministers, and so we know that there may be opportunities for you. God may be speaking to you to go and to pray for a brother or sister in Christ who's going through a challenging time. Maybe you just want to grab your husband or wife's hand and come and, and just bow before the Lord here at the altar and just rejoice in Jesus together, his blessings, his provision for your life. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've never received that gift of love and life that is found only by faith in Jesus, that I would encourage you, make that decision today. Say yes to Jesus. Cry out to the Father God. Tell him that you know you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from him. Tell him you believe that Jesus is your Savior. Do you believe Jesus came to this earth and he took your place on the cross and paid your price for sin? Tell him you believe that Jesus died your place that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, that he's alive. And he is the only way for you to enter a relationship with him. Your forgiveness of sin is in Jesus and the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. And then just simply ask God to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and ask Jesus to come into your life. Take over and take charge, and he will do that. This is the Lord's time as we're responding to him in obedience and faith, let's stand and say yes to the Father.